What's up, church? How you guys doing this morning? All right, good. These people are good. These people are not good. Okay, that's a, that's a bummer for you guys. Um, now, I, uh, I hope you guys are having a good weekend. It's been, it's been nice out this weekend. So, um, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, my parents shipped me off to camp. Okay, anybody, anybody go to camp when they were a kid? All right, all right. Um, my parents, my dad was a pastor, so I didn't just go to any camp. I went to Christian camp because that's the only camp, I guess. I don't know. But uh, so we go to camp, and I love camp. It's like the best week of summer, right, every year. Uh, but when, every year, it was, it was always the same. The last night of the last day of camp, um, what they would do is they would, every, everybody would, they would kind of gather everybody together. And I don't know if it was the mixture of, you know, cafeteria food all week mixed with we're all dead tired because we've been, you know, sleeping, not much, not much sleeping going on all week. Mixed with the bands playing and everybody's emotions are all going crazy and everybody's just, you know, crying. And it's just, it's just one of those things. And what they would do is they would have like open mic night, you know. And so what kids could do is we could go up and get the mic and then we would just say like how camp impacted us this week, how it's helped us, how it's changed us and changed our lives and just all this stuff. And so that's what we would do. I, I didn't personally do this, but that's what a bunch of kids do. And so um, the kids would get up and they'd be like, hey, you know, um, you know I, I've been mean to my, my brother and I need to not do that anymore and, and I'm never going to be mean to him ever again in my entire life. Like I'm going to share everything. Or you get some kid going up saying, you know, I... Uh, I'm going to do everything my mom says. Like, from here on out, I'm doing it. Or the kid that gets up and is like, I am never going to sin ever again in my entire life. And as a kid, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, he's serious. I think he's going to do it. Good for him. You know, that's, that's, that's great. And you're thinking this way. And, uh, you know, I, I think he means it. And so we hear about all these things as, as sitting in the crowd. As all these kids go up and commit to stop doing this. And they're going to stop listening to this music. And they're going to stop saying these words. They're going to be a better Christian. They promise to follow God and just all this stuff. But it wasn't any of us two weeks later that had not reneged on all of our promises and our commitments from the last night of camp. Okay? Like, and maybe for you... We should all know how this feels, at least a little bit. Maybe for you, it wasn't like you go to Christian camp or anything like that as you're a kid. But uh, we all know this because every single one of us, uh, we've made promises to ourselves. The thing about it, we can't even keep promises to ourselves, you know? Like, we think that, okay, you know, I need to change my life. There's something about me that I need to change. And so this is how I'm going to live my life from here on out. Or this is how I'm going to do work. Or this is how I'm going to parent. Or this is how I'm going to take care of my body. I'm going to exercise and I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to eat all these things. I'm never going to eat those things again. And, and we tell ourselves, like, you know, unlike the last hundred times, I'm for real this time. Like, this time is different. I am for real. And then what happens? Usually we start off pretty well, okay, because, you know, we're, we're into it. But then Eventually, those things or those habits that we're trying to, trying to get out of our lives, they creep back in. And a few weeks go by, it seems like we're back to our old ways. Any of you guys experience that? Come on, third service. You guys got to sleep in. I didn't. <laughs> all right. All right, all right. We got a few, like me, a little bit. We've all d done that, all right? New Year's resolutions, all right? We all know. Nobody keeps those for real. And so um, when that happens... We find out that the thing that we want to do or the thing that we want to change about ourselves usually isn't as easy as we thought, you know? And when we fail, I think most of us in here, we feel like a complete failure, which we are <laughs> when we don't do those things that we commit to and we promise to. I wonder if the disciples felt that when Jesus died and came back. 
You ever think about that? See, we always kind of focus on the, you know, Jesus died, and he came back, and the disciples are full of joy. They can't believe it. When they see him, they're just like, it's Jesus. You know, they run around like, check it out. It's Jesus. Like, and that's true. All right, we do know that they had joy. They do know that they were pumped up to see Jesus. That, 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 I mean, they were, they were pumped, man. All right, but we also know that, the, that there was things that none of, none of them were proud about when, as Jesus died just a few days before. All right, guys like Peter. Right, there's things that they were ashamed of. I mean, this is what we know. On the first Easter Sunday, right, Jesus, he rose from the dead as he told the disciples he would, and then he started appearing to people. Remember the first person he appears to is this lady named Mary. She's there. She's crying at the tomb, and Jesus just kind of appears, and what he tells her is he says, hey, Mary, I, want you, I got a job for you. All right, and she's like, okay, what's the job? He's, I want you to go tell my disciples, go tell my boys to meet me up in Galilee. That's a region way up north. Think of it for us. We view it as like, the next county up, okay, so like Sandusky County. Tell my boys to meet me up in Sandusky County, and, uh, and that's, where, that's where I'm going to tell them what I have for them. And so, and so for them, the Galilee, that was like their home base. That's where a lot of ministry happened. There's the Sea of Galilee, which is just this like big old lake up there, and a lot of things happened there as well. And so that's where Jesus grew up, and that's where most of these guys grew up. And so Mary goes, and we can assume that she tells them. And remember what the disciples are doing at this point? All right, Easter morning, Sunday. They're not at the tomb going, hey, what's up, Jesus? All right, one, two, three, sunrise, okay, cue Jesus. No, they're not doing that, right? They're all hiding. They're scared. They are worried that they might be the next guy killed on that cross. And so this is where we're going to pick up today. We're at John chapter 21. We are in, this is our 16th week in the book of John. We are in the last chapter, but we're not finishing today. We'll finish next week. Sorry. Okay, so this is what we says. John says, after this, now what's this? After Jesus died, after Jesus came back, after Jesus appeared to Mary. We know that after Jesus appears to Mary, later on that afternoon, on Sunday afternoon, there's like two guys. We don't even know their names. They're walking down the road to this next nearby town that's seven miles from Jerusalem. They're talking about all the things that had happened this week, that Jesus died. And now they're saying that he came back. But how could that be? Like, you know, people don't come back from the dead. Like, that doesn't happen. And so as they're talking, Jesus just, like, appears to them. He's, like, walking along with them. And he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Now, did Jesus know what they were talking about? Yes. The correct answer is yes. Okay, he knew because he knows everything. And so, but he asks them anyway. And they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And so these guys, think about it. They're, talk, they're telling Jesus about Jesus as they're walking down the road, and Jesus starts connecting the dots for them. Again, they don't recognize him, and, uh, and so Jesus is like, oh, interesting that Jesus did that, because guess what? The Old Testament, uh, God told us through this prophet and this prophet that Jesus was going to do this. And, oh, Jesus did that too? Interesting. Well, remember back in the Old Testament, it says this. So he starts connecting the dots for these people, these two guys, and they're just like, oh, that makes sense. We never thought about that before. Well, when they get to the next town, which is Emmaus, again, seven miles from Jerusalem, they tell Jesus, they're like, hey, you should come and like have dinner with us. It's getting late. And Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm going to keep walking. They're like, no, nah, come on. And he's like, okay, I'll go eat with you guys. So he goes. And as they're eating, it's like their eyes are open. And both of them at the same time, they realize exactly who they're talking to, that they're actually been hanging out with Jesus, talking about Jesus. And when they see Jesus or recognize Jesus, Jesus just like vanishes. See, that's why I think people, Jesus is just like messing with people, you know. And that's what he's doing. He just... He just disappears. That's weird, right? I think it is. You guys don't think it is. It's weird, okay? Jesus, he just disappears. And so when that happens, these two guys, 
They go running back to Jerusalem to where the disciples, the 12 disciples, well, 11 disciples now, where those guys are meeting. They're still hiding. And uh, when they get back, they, they, when they get to that, the house or wherever they're at, the disciples, they tell these two guys, they're like, hey, guess what? Peter says he just saw Jesus. And Mary saw Jesus this morning. And they're like, well, guess what? That's awesome. But we just had dinner with Jesus, so beat that. It's kind of a one-up situation. And as they're talking about Jesus, guess what Jesus does? Shows up. Just appears in the room. It's like, Hey, boys. Hey, guys. How's it going? You guys are just talking about me again? And, uh, and everybody's so pumped. Jesus actually eats with them again. Everybody's so pumped to be with Jesus. But there's one guy who's not there. Remember him? Thomas? We talked about him last week. Thomas isn't there. Remember how they run? I'm sure they run afterwards to go tell Thomas after Jesus disappears and he leaves again. They're like, what? Okay, Jesus is gone. Go tell Thomas. So they go run find Thomas and they tell him, hey, Thomas, we told you, you should have come. All right, Jesus appeared to us like he's alive, like this is crazy. I can't believe it, but I saw him with my own eyes, so I have to believe it. And when that happens, remember what Thomas says? Thomas is like, no, ain't no chance you're going to fool me. Like he's just like, no way. This doesn't happen. By the way, I think I would be just like Thomas if I were in his shoes. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm just saying, if one of you guys came up to me and were like trying to convince me that somebody I saw die two days ago or three days ago, that he was actually, you know, back alive, that you saw them alive and were talking with them and eating with them and stuff, I would think you're crazy, okay? It would take a lot of evidence for you to convince me that that's true. I just wouldn't believe it. Just like Thomas. And so Thomas doesn't believe it. He's like, I have to see it to believe it. It's actually more than that, remember? He's like, I don't just have to see it to believe it. I'm going to have to put my hands and I'm going to touch where they put that nail through his, arm, through his, through his hand. And, I'm gonna, and I want to touch where they put that, side, that spear in his side. He's like, then I will believe that this is the same Jesus that I witnessed die on a cross. And so remember what happens after that? We talked about this last week. A week goes by, no Jesus sightings. Everybody's like, what happened to Jesus? Where is Jesus? All right, he appeared to a whole bunch of people on, on Sunday. Right, the day that he rose, came back from the dead. But, but now Jesus doesn't seem to be like appearing to anybody. Well, that next Sunday, the disciples are all meeting together. Very similar situation. This time Thomas is there because there's no way Thomas was about to meet or about to miss another disciple meeting just in case Jesus came back because he missed the first one. He's super bummed about it. So Thomas is there this time. And Jesus just shows up again. And he looks over at Thomas and he's like, hey, Thomas. Right? You want to touch this? You want to touch this? Hey, look, it's me. You want to you touch me? Huh? 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 You know? Uh, well, you want to see this? You want to see this nasty scar? You did think I, I heard you say that last week, Thomas. You said you would only believe if you touched. And Thomas, remember what he does? He worships. We know that a few days later, Peter and his disciples, they head back up to J Galilee as Jesus told Mary to tell them to do. That's what John's saying. After all of that... Okay, a lot happened. After all of that, Jesus revealed himself, John says, again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. So what's the Sea of Tiberias? That's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. Big Lake, northern Israel. It says he revealed himself in this way. Basically, John's like, here's the story. All right, I was there. This is what happened. And then he starts listing off the other guys who were also there. He says some of the other guys that were there, it was Peter, all right, Simon Peter, Thomas, 
that we call the twin. We got Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee. We got also Zebedee's sons. Zebedee's sons, this is John, the guy who's writing this letter, and it's his brother James, okay? So you got James and John, and then he's like, and then there were two others of his disciples who were also there together. It's kind of interesting. I was thinking about, you got all this information about these guys. He doesn't, just doesn't say Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John. He doesn't say that. He goes on. He's like, he gives two names for Peter. He's like, his old name, Simon. Oh, yeah, and then his new name, Peter, that Jesus gave him. And then you got Thomas. Oh, we gave, we gave Thomas a nickname. We called him the twin. All right? Then you got Nathaniel, and he's actually from Cana of Galilee. Then you got Zebedee's sons. All right, that's his dad. That's James and John's dad. And then he's like, and, uh, Oh, yeah, there are two other guys. I just don't remember their names right now. I don't know why he doesn't write that in, but he doesn't. And so he says they're all up there waiting for Jesus in Galilee. And Peter says this. He says, I'm going fishing. Now, remember, these guys are professional fishermen. Like, that's what they do, you know, before they hung out with Jesus for three years. Right, that's, that's how they made their living. They were professional fishermen. And what they're supposed to be doing up in Galilee is they're supposed to be waiting for Jesus because that's where Jesus told them that he would be meeting them. And I'm sure there's some excitement around that. Like they're like, Jesus is back. They all have seen Jesus at this point, but they're all asking the same question, what's going on? Where is he? All right, they've been in Galilee. Most people believe that they've been in Galilee at this point for about a month and there's no Jesus. Jesus ain't showing up. They're all asking the same question, like, did he forget about us? Or when he said, meet you in Galilee, was that some secret code that we were supposed to get that we didn't get? Like, like go, hey, I'll meet you guys in Galilee, you know? And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll see you in Galilee. You know, is that something that we just miss it? Because here they are in Galilee. There ain't nothing, nothing going on here. And not only that, but I bet, think about it, I bet each guy is dealing with some amount of guilt and shame. Right? Like, think about, think about what they've been a part of for the last three years. They got to witness the greatest thing in history. God coming down, dying for his creation. Something crazy. Think about it. They got to spend three-ish years with God. That's pretty sweet. Like, who wouldn't want to do that? All right? Like, how awesome is that? They got to play a part in the story of God rescuing mankind. And when everything goes down, right, they refuse to believe or even stick up for Jesus. I mean, these guys fall. These guys fall hard. All right? They fail. Remember what they do? They all run and hide. And Peter, Peter, the so-called leader, kind of the self-appointed leader, the one that everybody kind of tended to to look towards just because of his personality. Peter denies that he even knows who Jesus is. Not once, not twice, but actually three different times. Two of the times were to like a middle school girl. No offense, middle school girls. All right. I'm just saying. I mean, this is, this is embarrassing. In fact, Mark tells us that when Jesus appears to, to the disciples, minus Thomas, okay, the first time when Thomas wasn't there, Peter, uh, Jesus, he kind of, uh, he he kind of reprimands them in a sense for having hard hearts. He's like, dude, you guys have such hard hearts. What's wrong with you guys? He's like, why don't you believe? What's up with you? Where were you guys? And then Thomas, right after that, he openly refuses that he believes. You know, he openly is like, I'm not going to believe in this. This, ain't, this is crazy. You guys are all crazy. No way, Jesus. I watched him die. He is not back. And then Jesus gets on his case the next time he shows up in front of the disciples a week later. See, my guess we don't think about this. But my guess is that whenever Jesus shows up after his death, it's just kind of weird. Like, it's just awkward. 
You know, like there's some tension there that just hasn't been exactly resolved yet. And so each of these guys, I believe, they feel kind of lost and kind of shamed. And by the way, you know what they're not doing when they're doing that? Okay, they're not blogging about it. They're not getting on Facebook and they're writing this big long post of this is how I feel. And so if you don't like how I feel, then just block me or unfriend me. You shouldn't be my friend. You know, like that type of thing. We've all seen that where you're just like, dude, calm down, all right. Um, they're not writing all this stuff trying to get some um, empathy and, you know, trying to get some words of encouragement. And so everybody kind of feels bad for them. They don't go to a counselor. Right, they don't go to a therapist where they just unload all of their stuff. There's someone that will listen. They, they don't do that. Actually, what most scholars believe is that when Jesus, or when Peter says, I'm going fishing, most scholars believe that what Jesus means, or what Peter means, is that he's going back to his old life. That's not how we view fishing now necessarily, right? Like now, it's not like Peter's, it's not like a hobby for him. All right, this, is, this, is, this was his job. Right? It's not like now it's like, oh, fish are biting today. Okay, we should go. Let's go fishing. Pass the time. We're waiting on Jesus anyway. That's not, that's not what this was. All right? Peter, he's going back to his old life. Now, at this point, Jesus had not told them what they were supposed to do. Like, give credit a little bit for Peter here. Jesus has not given them any instructions. But we do know that Peter and the rest of these guys... For the last three years, they've been thinking that they're going to get this new job in this sweet new government because Jesus is going to take over. He's going to bring Israel back. They're going to separate from Rome. He's going to be advisors to the new king, Jesus, and they're going to be like VPs in the new Jesus Incorporated. Like that's what they're pumped out about. They're super excited about. But, it, but within the last month or so, you know, they thought about that for the last three years. Within the last month or so, their whole idea of their life has just been turned upside down. Everything that they planned on happening didn't. Can you relate with that? Ever make plans? Ever have this idea or this view of how your life's going to be, and then all of a sudden it all comes crashing down? That's what's going on with them. And for them, it's like, sure, Jesus was resurrected. He came back. All right, that's cool. That's good. All right, he beat death. They're not really sure what that means yet. What's that mean for them? And so Peter does what many or even most of us do when life doesn't go as planned or when we fail on our promises, when we have this commitment that we just break or something happens that just kind of shakes us in our life, is Peter, he goes back to his old life and he makes himself busy through distraction. And think about it, what Peter's doing. It's not even like, Going, they're going fishing. He's going back to his old job. It's not like a, even a, a bad thing. See, a lot of us, we do this same exact thing, but it's like we go back to the bad stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Like many of us, we decide to do life God's way, and we make this promise, and we make this decision. Okay, God, I'm all yours, like that kid at camp. And then a, after a short period of time, we find ourselves back in this like some sinful pattern. Like we find ourselves, we're back to drinking, we're back to pornography, we're back to lashing out at our spouse or our kids or our friends or, or at our employees or coworkers, right? We find ourselves eating too much if that's our thing or spending too much money or complaining all the time. Or maybe it's just like simply just being negative. And we find ourselves with this attitude that we know we shouldn't have that's, that's actually wrong. Like, we could all agree, like, yeah, 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 when that happens, that's bad. But here, right, I think it's a, a little more trickier for us. I think sometimes, like probably in this situation for Peter, the things that we go back to isn't even like bad stuff. But if we are doing it just to wall out the shame or just to kind of erase our failures or distract ourselves so we don't have to deal with the issue, that ain't helping us. It's not. 
It's not fixing the problem. It's just prolonging the problem, which is making the problem worse. And so here it seems like Peter, when he says, I'm going fishing, basically we can interpret that as Peter saying, I don't know where Jesus is at, but let's move on. I don't know what's going on, but let's move on back to, let's go back to something that we know. He goes back to something that he's comfortable with. And the disciples, they're like, okay, we're coming with you. Now, I don't think here at this moment Peter is trying to be like a leader. I don't think that's what he's doing. He's just the most vocal, it seems like, out of them. And, um, and so Peter here, you know, when he says, I'm going fishing, he's not like trying to influence anybody. He's just telling everybody like, okay, this is what's going on. But notice what he does, right? He influences them. And by the way, so do you. You realize you influence the people around you? Whether you try to or not, that doesn't matter. Whether you mean to or not, throw that out, all right? You influence the people around you, meaning your words carry weight more than you realize. They, they just do. And so parents, your words carry a lot of weight. Dads, your words carry so much weight. They just do. And so it's something we need to remember, I, I talk to people a lot where they're like, hey, this is my life, this is my decision, it doesn't affect anybody else, all right, it, I, this is what I want to do, and so that's what I'm going to do. But here's the deal, our decisions do affect people around us. Like that's, that's, you know, that attitude of my life, my decision, that's so far from the truth. Our decisions do affect the people around us. People are always watching. By the way, parents, your kids always watching. I wish it would be so much easier if you could just turn them off for a second. You know what I mean? Be like, okay. But that's, that's not reality. And so the disciples, at least the six other guys, they're like, okay, Peter, you're going, you're going back to your old life? Hey, we're coming with you. Remember, um, like James and John, they were actually partners with Peter. So they're fishermen as well. And so they went out. They got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Now, we got some fishermen in here. Anybody fish? You like to fish? Okay, all right. You know how they feel? You know what I'm talking about? You ever go out and catch nothing? Yeah, okay, happens, all right? It's terrible. We were just like, man, okay, I just wasted my whole afternoon, and I got a sunburn on top of that, and there's nothing. Like, I have nothing to show for it. Um, that's what these guys are going through. Like, you can, you can understand their frustration. These guys are super frustrated. They're professionals, man. This is what they do. They got these big old nets. You'd think they would each, like, catch, you'd think they'd catch, like, a fish. It's not like they're fishing on their, like, you know, the rods and reels. No, they have giant nets. They usually catch a bunch of fish when they go out. They caught nothing, which is super weird. Like, that just probably didn't happen that much. And so think about it. As they're rowing in the next morning, these guys are super frustrated, okay, because they haven't caught anything. And uh, they're probably all tired, I'm assuming, because they've been out working all night. And on top of that, they're probably all annoyed with each other because every time you go fishing with somebody else and you catch nothing and you're there for hours, you really want to stop hearing each other talk. You know what I'm talking about? You're just like, okay, just stop talking to me. I'm done. It's just we get in bad attitudes when we don't catch anything. At least that's me. But anyway, they go. They catch nothing. They're all frustrated. And they're just like, okay, let's just, this isn't working out for us. Now, John says, when daybreak came. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Now, remember, John's one of these guys in the boat. He's telling us firsthand. This is eyewitness account right here. And he's like, we didn't know it was Jesus. And so what, from our perspective, we look out. There's this dude on the shore about 100 yards away. He's going to tell us in a second. And he's like, this guy, Jesus, this, this stranger to them, yells out, friends. Now, really, this is a bad translation of that word. The word literally means 
children. All right? This is where it gets kind of interesting to me. This is why I think Jesus is kind of jacking with them a little bit. Jesus goes out there, and he yells out to these grown men who are professional fishermen as they come in. He says, hey, kids. Hey, children. All right? He says, you don't have any fish, do you? Now, that is the worst question you could possibly ask a fisherman when you know he's got nothing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you see somebody walking out, walking away from the river, and they're empty-handed. Okay, that's not what you ask them. You don't say, hey, how many fish did you catch? You know, you just don't, you just don't do that. It's kind of messed up. But Jesus, he asked them. Now, does Jesus know how many fish they caught? Yeah, yes. Okay, he does, because he knows everything. But, uh, but here he does, here, here Jesus, he asks them, how many? And imagine how, from the per- disciples' perspective, right? Like, they're just like, who is this guy? Like, what? Uh, you know, you got to be kidding me, right? And they're annoyed already at each other. And so one of them walks out or shouts out. He's like, no, we don't have any fish. We didn't catch any fish. And so this guy from the shore, the stranger, he says, hey, then why don't you just cast your net on the right side of your boat? I've been noticing, I've been watching you guys for a while. You guys keep throwing their nets on the left side. That's kind of weird. Why don't you try the right side? That's probably where all the fish is hiding. And again, these are all professionals. They're like, okay, yeah, like that's the big secret. This guy seems to know something we don't, obviously, but that's the big secret. You just switch sides. You know, that's it. That's all I have to do. Okay. And so, and so they're just like, who is this guy? It's not like there's sides under the boat. You know, it's not like the fish only hang out on the right side and not the left side. Like fish, there is no sides. And so they're just like, what, who is this guy? Now, what the disciples don't understand is happening at this point is that Jesus is actually, he's recreating one, really the first time that they met, which happened about three years before. He's recreating the situation. In that situation, that story goes like this. Jesus, he's talking to a bunch of crowds. They're all, everybody wants to see who Jesus is. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. They want to see all the things that Jesus is going to do. And so all these people are crowding around Jesus as he's on the shoreline and he's trying to, he's trying to teach people. It's just not working out very well logistically because everybody's crowding them. And so there's Peter and James and John and Andrew, they got their boats because they're fishermen on the, on the lake. And they're nearby. They're working on their nets and stuff probably. And they're probably listening to what this new Jesus guy, this, this teacher has to say. And Jesus actually goes off. He walks out and he jumps into their boat. And he sits down in Peter's boat. And he could get some distance before the crowd. And they all sit on the shore and he begins to teach. It works out well. After Jesus is done, he dismisses everybody. Okay, you guys go home. You know, I'll be back here at 9 o'clock, you know, tomorrow. I don't know what he said. And so he looks over at Peter and he's like, hey, you're a fisherman. Let's go fishing. And Peter, he's like, Jesus. Jesus, I know you're a teacher and, you know, you don't really do fishing and stuff. Ah, I'm what they call a professional fisherman. And my professional opinion is there ain't no fish out there. We've been fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. And Jesus, and so Jesus, he actually pushes back. He's like, well, why don't we try, Peter? And so Peter's like, okay. He calls like John and James over. He's like, guys, he wants to, Jesus, this Jesus guy, he wants to go fishing. And they're like, we already been fishing. We didn't catch it. He's like, I know, I told him that. He still wants to go. And so they all jump in the boat. They row out there. And uh, they throw their nets in because, that's again, that's how, they, that's how they caught a bunch of fish. You throw the nets in, and all of a sudden the nets are so full of fish, they can't, even, they can't even pull it all onto the boat. In fact, all the parts of the net that they do get on the boat, the, it's so heavy that the boat actually begins to sink. 
So many fish, bigger, biggest catch they've ever caught, they've ever even heard of being caught. And immediately, remember what Peter does? Because we've talked about the story before. Peter, he gets down on his knees and he realizes that God is in his boat. He's like, I'm a sinner, man. Get, get away from me. You shouldn't be here. And worships Jesus. I mean, that's the story. And it's interesting, right? Like three years later, here we are in the same situation. Maybe there's probably a good chance that these guys haven't been fishing since that very day. And they go back. They may have even been in the same spot. It's the same lake. right? Maybe it's the same boat. And same situation all night, no fish. And then here's this guy telling them to throw the net on the other side. I mean, here they are. They're picking right where they picking up right where they left off. And so here's Jesus. He's actually calling them back just like he did the first time that he called him to him. And it's just interesting what they thought. Like, did they really think that Jesus was done with them? Like, did they really think that the story was over for them? Like, okay, Jesus died. That's great. Or he came back. That's awesome. But, but what's in it for us? You know, and so they do it. Probably just the humor of the dude who's on the shore. And so... John says, they did. They threw the net on the right side instead of the left because that's what's supposed to make all the difference. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. So many fish. They're pulling this in. They're like, dude, this is crazy. And so the disciple, the one who Jesus loved, by the way, remember that's John. That's how John refers to himself in his book called John. He gets to write it, so he gets to describe himself whatever way he wants. So he says, me, (laughs) John, the disciple who Jesus really loved, he said to Peter, he's like, it's the Lord, which they're probably all thinking that, like, dude, this happened once before. Remember that three years ago? Jesus did this. That was crazy. And here it is again. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him because he had taken it off because it was hot out. He'd taken off their sweatshirts. And he plunged into the sea. Now, this wasn't like a pretty thing. This wasn't like he swan dived into the sea and we were like, wow, good dive. You know what I mean? 10, 10, 10. That's not what this was like. Like, this was like... This wasn't pretty. He, like, flopped in, basically. So he just, like, flops into the lake, which is so typical Peter. He's one of those guys, we got people like that in here. You know people like it who are, like, all heart, half mind. Like, they just don't think everything through that they should probably before they say. Got Peter in trouble sometimes. Um, you know, we, we know people like that. It's not always, by the way, a bad thing. All right? It's like a fullback. Okay? You, with a fullback, you don't want them thinking about all the moves they can make. You're just like, here's the ball, tuck it, and run. You know, that's, what, that's the kind of guy Peter was. And so um, Peter, he leaves, which, by the way, can I just throw out like a quick leadership lesson to any of you guys who are leaders or um, CEOs, managers, you know, uh, supervisors, whatever, a, a boss of some kind, anything that might be. Can I just say this? Be careful in your excitement or your passion for your vision or your plan. Um, that you don't get so far ahead of your team that you leave your team to do all the heavy lifting and all the work, okay? Peter kind of does that here. And so Peter jumps in, and then John tells us that since (laughs) they actually were not far from the land, they're only about 100 yards away. And so Peter jumps in, he's like, I'm getting to to, to Jesus first. And the other disciples are like, Peter lands right there. All right, we'll just... uh, Go ahead and row on in. It says, the other disciples, they came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. As Peter's like sputtering along next to him. They're like, just let him do his thing. This is what he does, you know. 
And like when they got out on land, they saw the charcoal fire, which we'll get to the significance of that next week, with fish lying on it and bread. So Jesus, he's already got breakfast made, which is probably pretty good, I'm assuming, if God's making you breakfast. He says, bring some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus told him. And so Peter, he climbed up and he hauled the net ashore. Now think about this, all right? So Peter jumps out of the boat. He didn't have to. It was actually probably faster if he didn't. He swims as fast as he can to Jesus, and it's almost like, a, hey, see how much, you know, he gets up, he's sputtering, and he runs over. He's like, see how much I love you, Jesus? You see how much I love you? And then Jesus is like, hey, Peter, go back and help your team. Like, go back and help the guys. Help bring the fish in and bring some of those fish. And then Peter's like, okay, Jesus, I'll be right back. And he goes, and he grabs the, the net, like, all by himself, and he starts lugging. He's like, you know, aren't you proud of me now, Jesus? Check it out. I got, I got your fish. You know, here's Peter. It's like, he, it's almost like he's trying to do, he's just kind of doing everything. And, and John's sitting there and he's like, actually, the, the net that Jesus, that Peter was pulling, it was actually full of really large fish. He says it's large fish. These aren't like your puny little guppies, okay? These are like big fish. These aren't the fish that you have to hold out way out in front of your body to take your picture so that it looks bigger because it's closer to the camera. You know what I'm talking about? I've seen some of you guys do this, so don't act like, you know, you do it. I've seen your Facebook. And then... You know, these aren't those fish. These are like big old fish. John's like, these are, these are big fish, like large fish. He's like, actually, there are 153 of them. Now, why do you think John tells us there's 153 fish? Because there is 153 fish, all right? John is there. He gives us the details, which is also kind of interesting. By the way, I don't know any fisherman that goes fishing, you know, any dude or any, any person that goes fishing and doesn't count fish. You know what I mean? Like, like, you ask anybody who comes back from fishing, even if they caught a lot of fish, every single person knows how many fish they caught. It's never like, I don't know, we caught a few. No, we all know. Like, you count your fish. We haven't changed much in 2,000 years. Same thing with John. And so John is like, there's 153 of them. These are big old, huge, all right, fish. It's awesome. It's actually kind of sad. One thing I was thinking about is John can't even remember the two disciples and their names, yet he remembers the exact amount of fish that they caught. Typical dude, okay, right here. So John says, uh, there's 153 of them, even though, and the nets didn't break. He says, Jesus shouts out, he says, hey, come and have breakfast. Now, John tells us that none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because every single one of them knew exactly who this person was. It was Jesus. And Jesus came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus is setting it all up. He's about to have one of his last talks with his boys who still don't know what they're to do, who still are a little foggy on why Jesus had to die and what that means for them, and they're still fighting that shame and that guilt like we do sometimes when we mess up and when we break a promise or when circumstances don't go the way that we plan in our life. See, that's what we do, right? Like we have the tendency when we get confused or when something unexplained or unplanned or unexplained comes up, what do we do? We have this tendency to return to our old lifestyle. Like things happen in our world. Sometimes it's things that we can't even control and it just kind of throws us off. And it's our instinct to go back to where we feel comfortable. It's our instinct to go back to our old life to do the things that we used to do. And we do this probably in most areas of our life and most commitments and stuff like that when we, when we fail. Um, it's just, it's just kind of what we do. But there's actually one area in our life that's most important, right? Hands down, more important than any other decision, any other commitment, any other promise that we could ever make. And that's our commitment and our decision to give our life to Jesus. 
right? Like, that's the most important thing in our entire life. It's the most important decision we could ever make in our entire life. What I want to do real quick is just a couple more minutes. Think back to that time when you gave your life to Jesus. Can you think back to that moment, to that time? Now, not everybody in here can, okay, because some, some of you, you might be sitting here like, man, I just don't know about this whole Jesus thing yet, okay? All right, that's cool. We want you to come here, all right? Keep coming. We, there's answers to your questions. Okay, there are. We, we'll, we'll take it. But for the rest of us, can you think back to that time where you made that decision or you made that commitment to follow Jesus? Do you remember that? Like, when was it? Do you remember that moment? I'm not saying you got to remember, like, the exact date or, you know, February 23rd, you know, 2010, you know, whatever. I'm not saying you got to remember the exact date. I'm saying, um, or even the exact month or anything like that. I'm saying you should at least remember the moment. Probably you should be able to narrow it down to the year at least, right? I mean, it's the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life. I mean, think about what happens in that moment. Your eternal destiny changes. The Bible says you are in darkness, now you're in light. The Bible says you were lost before that moment, and then after that moment, you were found. Your God, like, moves into your life in that moment. You are now a new person. Like, it seems like that's something that you should remember. And if you don't, if you can't think back to a, to a specific moment, I'm just saying, that's a red flag. If I were in your shoes, that would bother me. That would bother me a lot. Like, how do you know you made a decision to follow Jesus if you can't remember the decision that you made to follow Jesus? You know, like, how, how do you know? You just assume that you did? So, you got it? All of us in this room, you got that, that moment? Or if you're not sure, you're just not sure, but, but for those of you that are, you got that? What I want to do today, real quick, I think it's just better. I think it means more. There's just something about just writing it down. So what I want us to do is, if you've got a seat in front of you, I want you to grab a Connect card. All right, like everybody. You guys already grabbed all the Connect cards because early in the service, remember when I said grab a Connect card, fill it out. Everybody's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, just, nobody did that. I get it. I didn't see anybody moving. That's cool. That's cool. Who cares what Zach says, you know, whatever. But now, at least, if you didn't yet, grab a card. Could, could you grab a card real quick? There should be a pen as well. I would really like everybody to do this. Throw down your name on the top of that card. You don't have to fill out any of the other stuff. Like, today, we just saw a bunch of people get baptized, which is basically a bunch of people committed, or not even committed, a bunch of people are publicly saying, hey, I gave my life to Jesus, okay? What I'd like for all of us to do is kind of do the same thing, just in a way less awkward way, you know? And I would like you just to put your name on, and then there, at the bottom there's a, there's a square space that says, I think it's like prayer requests. Um, it's a big white space. Just write when that was. If you know the date, write the date. If you know the month and the year, write the month and the year. If it's only the year, write the year. If you know the moment, maybe you don't know what year it is or anything like that, then write like the circumstance around it. When I went to this, when I did camp or anything like that, then write that. You should be able to know of a moment. If you're not sure, then just write not sure. That's, you know, be honest about it. That's, that's totally cool. But what I want is for everybody when we walk out these doors to at least have been challenged with Am I 100% that I've given my life over to Jesus? Have I made that decision or am I just putting that off? Don't fool yourself. And then all I would like you to do is when we leave, and this will help me kind of gauge where our church is at. We're not going to call or anything like that. We're not going to do anything weird. 
But um, just throw it into the, into the buckets or whatever by the back doors. Just throw them in as you walk out. That's it. And by the way, if you haven't made that decision, you should totally do that today. Because guess what? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. God doesn't owe that to you. All right? Give your life to him today. Basically, it's just understanding that, hey, Jesus is God. He came down. All right? We are all sinners. We are all messed up. God's perfectly uh, just. And because of that, he has to punish sin. It's the right thing for him to do. He has to punish wrong. It has to be paid for because he's perfectly just. And so that's a big problem for us because every single one of us are sinners. And so what Jesus did is he came down and he paid that price for us. He's the only one who could do it because he's the only one that didn't have sin. And then he, when he died, God poured out his righteous wrath, the wrath that was right for him to pour out on us that we deserve. He poured it out on himself. And now for each and every one of us, he gives us a decision to follow him. And if we choose to follow him, he's saying, hey, okay, here's the deal. I give you this, this gift. You don't have to pay for everything you've ever done wrong, which, by the way, is hell. Right? He's saying, Jesus took care of it. I took care of it. I, I give you this free gift. It's not right. And the fact that he didn't deserve to do that, we deserve it. We rightfully deserve it. He freely gives it to us. It's huge. It's the best news we could ever hear. All right? So you should do that today. And for those of you guys who have already done that, if you've made that decision, here's what the Bible tells us. This is what I want you to walk out with today. The Bible tells us that you are a new creation. All right? You are a new person, meaning the old you is dead. And sure, you're still going to struggle and sh just like me. And sure, you're going to fail just like I fail. But, and, and you're going to feel that urging and that instinct to go back. But here's the deal. God has sent, set you free from that life. You are set free. He took care of it. He did that, by the way, when he died on the cross which means you never have to go back. And I think the disciples, they're about to discover this in this last talk with Jesus, which we're going to look at next week. And so just remember that as you go back into your routine, back home, that whatever that is, decision, you know, to follow Jesus or, or even, you know, other commitments, lesser things, we don't have to go back to our old self. God took care of that for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the today. Um, we ask that if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you, that they would give their life to you today, not waste another moment. Lord, God, we, we thank you for, for dying for us. We can't thank you enough for that. We thank you for caring about us. Lord, we, uh, we ask that you would help us to, to grow in our relationship with you and to grow as, as people. God, we thank you for this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.